Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, of all the pains that we experience in life, loneliness has to be one of the most difficult. We experience loneliness when we lose a loved one. We've heard about several just this week. We know there's been many over this year. Um, Sometimes we experience loneliness because of a relocation. Someone we love moves away. Sometimes we experience loneliness because of a rejection. And even at Christmas, even when we are at times surrounded by people in the busyness of shopping, coming to church, uh, being with family, even in the midst of people, we can at times still feel alone. And so we, we try to fill that emptiness. We, we try to fill it with food. We try to fill it sometimes with alcohol. We sometimes try to fill it with a marriage. And those of you who are young or, or, or older and not married and you're thinking that's the answer to your problem, let me just tell you I could introduce you to some people that got into a bad marriage. A bad marriage is worse than, than being lonely or being alone. Sometimes people have children to try to fill that, that loneliness. And, and what we find is, with that, we try to put all these things in there, we find that that hole is so cavernous that there's nothing, no one that can fill it. And in fact, Blaise Pascal, who was a a 17th century scientist, mathematician, philosopher, he said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. So that sounds promising. Okay, if there's a God and if he's bigger than the universe, surely God can fill a hole in me. But then I stop and think, but I know me. And I know what a mess I am. And I think, could it really be true that the God of the universe, the God who is perfect, would want to be with me, with us in our mess? I'm going to do something that may sound a little unusual this morning. I want to pummel and overwhelm you with evidence that God wants to be with you, even even though you're a mess. And and so we're going to talk about uh, this morning um, how that can even be possible given the mess that we are. So if you would take a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, that's where we have been this this month. In our series, Love Came Down, we've been looking at three names of of Jesus. Actually, the first technically is not a name, but a title, the the title Christ. We see that in, in verse 16 of Matthew 1, at the end of Jesus' genealogy, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. 
And we looked at that word and, and saw that that's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus, the set-apart one, the one who was given a unique role, a unique job to do that no one else in the universe could, could do. So he is our Messiah. Last week, we looked at the name Jesus. In verse 21, the angel said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. He will save us from our sins. Jeremy talked to us last week about the fact that sin has a solution, and his name is Jesus. Today we're going to talk about the name Emmanuel, and we, we've sung it already in some songs this morning. We sing it this time of year. We're going to think deeply about what that means for us and what it means for our, our loneliness this morning. Verse 22 in Matthew chapter 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Okay, before we read what the prophet said, Matthew says, all this took place. All of what took place? Well, the call on Joseph and Mary's life. So Luke talks a lot about Mary and God's call on her to carry the, the Son of God. Uh, Matthew talks more about Joseph. And so last week, Jeremy talked to us about the peaks and valleys of Joseph's life. The, the peak of Joseph's life, one of those being that uh, he's, he's engaged, he's betrothed. The biblical word is, is different than our idea of engagement. It's deeper, it actually carries a, a legal aspect to it. So Mary, I, I'm sorry, Joseph is betrothed to Mary. He's excited about his future, no doubt something he's been dreaming about. That's a peak. And then he encounters the valley of recognizing, realizing that Mary is carrying a child and he knows that child can't be his. So he comes to the conclusion that anyone would and that is she's been unfaithful. So then he prepares to divorce her. He's in a, a valley. And so, but the angel comes to him, says, Joseph, it's okay. You can marry Mary because what she's telling you is actually true. As unlikely as it seems, as impossible as it seems, she is carrying a child that is of God. And so, so Matthew says here in verse 22, all this took place, all of those peaks and valleys, all of this un unexpected, unusual things happening for Mary and Joseph, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by a prophet. Matthew ties all of this to a prophecy that was made 800 years before Jesus comes, and he tells us that prophecy in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's no record of Jesus being called Emmanuel. I mean, he was called Jesus. But the, the idea of name in Scripture carries a broader meaning than just the sound of, of what we call someone. So when it, it carries the idea of, of being and identity. So when the Psalms tell us, may the name of the Lord be praised, 
May the name of Yahweh be praised. It's not talking about the letters of that name or the sound that it makes. It's talking about the being that it represents, the person that it represents. So Jesus' identity and his personhood is fully represented in this idea of Emmanuel, which Matthew translates into Greek to say God with us. He translates it because it's a Hebrew word. I want to show you the Hebrew word on the screen, just give you a little Hebrew lesson here this morning. The top line, obviously Hebrew, that's the one that probably most of you can't read. The bottom line is the English translation. The line in the middle is the transliteration of the, of the Hebrew. So Hebrew we read from right to left in contrast to the way we read from, from left to right. So you start at the beginning of the word with M and you, and you end with L, which is short for Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for, for God. So literally, the word Emmanuel means the with us God. He is the with us God. He is not the distant God. He is not the against us God. He is the with us God. I know some people have a perception of God, and maybe you're here this morning this way. You have a perception of God as being very stern, very distant, He's kind of sitting on a throne waiting for you to mess up. You may have derived that picture from scenes that we actually see in Scripture where God is bringing judgment for, for sin. That's, that's real <laughs> because God is holy. God is perfect. And so the reality for us who are imperfect is we, we have all fallen short of what God's expectation of us is. And so God being holy cannot have sin in his presence. And so this causes a problem for us. And, and if we think about the idea of God with us, how can God be with us if we are sinful? And if we have fallen short of his standard. And if you're here this morning, let me speak to those of you who are here this morning who may not have totally bought into the picture of moral absolutes in, in the Bible and that God has set a standard and we don't live up to it. Okay, if, if that doesn't resonate for you this morning, then let me say it this way. You know that when there's a conflict for you in any relationship that you have, there's a separation that's caused. You know that when there's conflict, there's separation. Maybe you're experiencing some of that right now here at the holidays, and you're trying to think how to work through that as you have family members coming that for whatever reason you're not getting along with right now. You've probably even experienced internally that when you have internal conflict, you feel kind of separated and disjointed from, from yourself. Well, Scripture says that that experience happens to us on the level of the God who created us, and when we fall short of his expectations and his standard, that creates a separation, and somehow that has to get bridged because a holy God cannot have sin in his presence. So he could have just left us in that mess, but alongside of his holiness, God has this overriding desire to be with us, and so he came in the person of Jesus to wash us clean so that we could be in his presence. 
Tim Keller says it this way. I love this quote. He says, a God who was only holy would not have come down to us in Jesus Christ. He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with him. So that's the stern, distant God. On the other hand, a deity that was an all-accepting God of love, which is the way a lot of people perceive God these days, would not have needed to come to earth either. This God of the modern imagination would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us, just said, oh, that's okay. Neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. Tim Keller says, in effect, that Christmas is a condemnation on on humankind because it says that we couldn't get to God on our own. He had to come to us. And so the solution we find in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not, and this is key, listen to this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So I mess up, I fall short, but I have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the good news of the gospel, that even though you and I fall short of God's perfect standard, that he has made a way to credit righteousness to our account that doesn't come from our efforts, but it comes from what Christ has accomplished for us. We're gonna, next year, we're gonna get into this very deeply as we study through the the book of Romans. So if you're having a hard time putting those things together, then you'll wanna come back next year because we, we discover how our righteousness before God is all about what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so God can be with us because Jesus came to us to make us new. We have to be made new to be able to be in God's presence because he can't have sin in his presence. We have to be washed and made new. And so because Jesus came to do that, that's why God can be with us. God's desire has been to be with us from the beginning. And so now I'm gonna pummel you with with an overview, a quick scan of of scripture from from the beginning. So if we go back to Genesis one and two and we look at creation, what we see is God intimately, closely involved with the creation specifically of human beings. We see God taking dirt and mud and forming it into the first man and then breathing life into that mound of mud and making it into a remarkable human being. And then he takes a rib from that first man to create the wife for that that man so that they can procreate and now we can fill the earth. And then God walks with this first man and woman. He walks with them. There's an old song. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. The song's called In the Garden. It's, It's there in the beginning that God walks with them And so we should ask the question, how can a God who's bigger than the universe and creates everything that is, how could he confine himself to walk with a man and woman in something that he created? Well, scholars think that probably 
the, the form of God that was walking with them was the pre-incarnate Jesus. It was Jesus. You should know that Jesus' existence didn't begin in Bethlehem when he was born as a baby. That was when he took on human flesh, but he's existed from eternity past. He is the second person of, of the Godhead. And so it's very possible that when we see these times of God showing up in the Hebrew scriptures before we get to Jesus being born, that that's actually Jesus coming to walk and talk and interact with, with people. So God wanting to be with us from the beginning, then sin enters the picture. Then the, the man and woman disobey and they fall short of God's requirements and his expectation of them. So there's a separation that's created. Several chapters later, God calls a man named Abraham, and he wants Abraham to be the, the model of what it looks like to have a faith relationship, for a human being to have a faith relationship with God, even in the midst of a broken world. That starts on a personal level, just for Abraham, then it expands to Abraham's family, because God wants to show the world what it looks like for a nation to have God as their king. We see that that doesn't work out really well because human beings just keep falling short of God's standard. But God doesn't give up. He, he gives them instructions to say, I want you to create a tabernacle, and I want that tabernacle to be in the center of your community. I want that to be in the center of your camp. That's the representation of the presence of God right there among you. There's, there's an interesting tie-in with the idea of tabernacle to Jesus in John 1.14. John says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt is the idea of tabernacle. Jesus came to tabernacle temporarily among us, to be among us, because God wants to be with us. Eventually, the tabernacle is replaced by the more permanent temple, so an actual structure that, again, was to be the center of their worship and the representation of God's presence on earth. I say it was a more permanent structure because it was destroyed several times, rebuilt several times, and today it doesn't, doesn't exist in Jerusalem. However, we look forward to the ultimately permanent temple that is described in the last two chapters of Scripture, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is where? With man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be where? With them as their God. It's interesting. Scripture doesn't end with telling us that we will be with God. It tells us that God will be with us. This is our ultimate destiny. This is the way Scripture begins, the way the story ends, the way the story of eternity begins, that we will be with God because he is the with us God. Not because we were able to make our way to him, but because he came to us. God can be with us because Jesus came to make us new. 
if you are not convinced yet that God wants to be with you, you're still thinking, yeah, I'm the exception. Okay, I'm going to pummel you some more with some favorite scriptures. And these are some of our favorites. This will be familiar to many of you, but they're some of our favorites because they remind us of how much God wants to be with us. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for why? Why not? Because you are where? With me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be where? With you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall... Please, please note in this, I, I wish that this read differently, but this is the way it reads. It doesn't say if you pass through the waters. If you walk through the fire, it says when. When you pass, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you because I will be with you. The end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus, as he was ready to go back to be with the Father, he says, behold, I am where? with you always to the end of the age. Matthew begins and ends with God with us. And then there's the with us. How does Jesus, how is Jesus still with us to the end of the age? Well, there's the with us presence of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says in John chapter 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells where? With you, and will be in you. So first Jesus is talking about himself. He's like, I'm dwelling with you, but the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. How much more with you can God be than inside of you? for the Spirit to indwell you when we trust Christ for salvation. I hope you're feeling pummeled by now. God can be with us because Jesus came to make us new. So even though you and I are stained by sin, stained by sin that's been done to you, stained by sin that you have chosen to do yourself, because every one of us has had our own version of acting out Genesis 3, where we have been presented with God's standard, but we have chosen to do it our way, to try to do life on our own. Every one of us has repeated that. And so we are all sin-stained, but even though we are sin-stained, if you think that keeps God from being with you, then I have good news. (laughs) Because God was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. There is no barrier any longer between us. That's why Jesus came, was to give his perfect life in our place because God didn't want to be apart from you, separated from you. In fact, it is scripturally accurate for you to think of God as wanting so much to be with you that he would run to you, even in your mess. And I have that on good authority because Jesus told a parable just like that. He told a parable about a prodigal son who ran off on his own, and as he turned back to come back to his father, his father ran to him. And Jesus knew as he's telling that story 
that for, for the Jewish mind that's listening to that, to picture a Jewish father who's dignified and respectful running in his robe, like that's unheard of. No, no Jewish father is gonna do that. And yet, that is what our father God does for us because he so wants to be with you. Jesus, by coming, substantiates the parable, and then he sends his Holy Spirit. And so we get to experience Emmanuel. J.C. Ryle writes, Emmanuel promises to be with us daily, to pardon and forgive, with us daily to sanctify and strengthen, with us daily to defend and keep, with us daily to lead and to guide, with us in sorrow and with us in joy, with us in sickness, with us in health, with us in life and with us in death, with us in time and with us in eternity. So what does this look like in everyday life? I asked a lady that some of you will know, her name is Kathy Brown, she's a long time attender, member here at at Grace Point. I asked Kathy because she's someone that I know has experienced a lot of loneliness in her life, and yet I see her as someone who's very close to the Lord. So I asked her, um, how how do you experience God with you in your loneliness? And she shared this with me to share with you. She said, this is part of her story. 20 years ago, she said, I lived the busy life of a very happily married woman. I had a son in college and a daughter who would soon graduate from high school, and I loved being involved in ministry at Grace Point. My husband, Lynn, was a chaplain in the Army National Guard. And so an opportunity came up where Lynn was uh, asked to consider joining an Army Reserve unit And the catch was that it was going to require him to be away on deployment, on active duty, six months out of every five years. So when he came home to to tell Kathy that, she was like, "Mm, no, you're not going to be able to do that. I I don't think I can handle six months of, of deployment. And um, But since Lynn was convinced that this was God's will for him, he, he took the position. And his first deployment did not last six months. It lasted 16 months. And there were two more deployments that came very soon after that. And by then, she said, both of our children were in college and I was at home alone. And she says, I did not know how I could bear up under this. My Grace Point friends rallied around me to pray for me and encourage me, but I felt so alone. But I wasn't really alone. She says she started a journal where she wrote out helpful verses that she came across as she was reading her Bible. The first page of the journal reads, your word is my source of hope. And so she had various pages in the journal, like God will take care of me, God's love and concern for me, God will strengthen, help, and guide me when I get overwhelmed. And so she said whenever she began to struggle, she would open the page of the the journal and read those verses. She said, I could feel myself relaxing as God's truth nourished my soul. This is, catch this next line because some of you are gonna relate to this. She says, I am not a person who feels the presence of God. But she said, I knew he was with me and taking care of me because he always keeps his promises. She says she grew a lot in her Christian life 
during that time, but God was not finished teaching her about being alone. In 2008, Lynn had a heart attack and died instantly. She says he was never going to come home again, and she said, I had to learn the loneliness of widowhood. Again, the Bible was my lifeline. And spending time with people and being involved in ministry were also important to me. But she says there was more yet to learn. In 2014, she developed chronic fatigue syndrome. And so one of the effects is that she can't be with friends for more than an hour at a time. And even after that, it takes her a day or two to gather her strength back again to be able to leave the house. And so she had to drop out of ministry and she just spends a lot of time at home alone. And I'll just read the last paragraph to you. She says, through all these years, I have enjoyed knowing that God was with me all the time. Steve Weir once talked about a man who stopped to pray throughout the day. He would pick up the thread of prayer by saying, and so, Lord, she says, I talk with God through the day. When something is funny, I invite him to join in my laughter. When I'm saddened by the effects of sin in myself and the lives of others, I express that to him along with the affirmation that he still knows what he's doing and is working out his purposes. When I watch TV shows about animals, the beauty of our world and science, they give me the opportunity to worship God who is so creative and who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's from 1 Timothy 6. When I see beautiful things, I stop to thank him for making them and giving me eyes to see them. I treasure the knowledge that God is always with me. So my prayer for you and for me is that in our times of loneliness, we would view those as the opportunity to experience God with us in a really personal, really tangible way. There's a little gift for you there on, on the seat next to you. Some of you have bread, some of you have green. I want to encourage you to take this with you. Maybe keep it in your pocket, maybe put it on your desk at work, but have it there for you over the coming days, coming weeks, as a reminder to you that God is with you. I, I, I know that a cross, we typically associate with Easter, the Easter holiday, but it's, it's also very appropriate for the Christmas holiday because it is the reason why Jesus came, and it is the reason why we can experience God with us. If you have never invited Jesus to fill that space in you, if you've been trying to fill it with other things, other people, you've never invited Jesus to fill that space, I would encourage you to make today your day to just take that risk, to step out in faith, to say, Jesus, I've tried everything else, nothing else has worked, so I want you to come and be with me. We're, we're gonna do one final song here. You can reflect on that, uh, and then we'll have an opportunity for you even to come as others are leaving today, and our prayer team will be here to, to pray with you. But let's just pray as we, as we close the message here. Father, um, we thank you for loving us so much that you would run to be with us, that you would make the incredible sacrifice, Jesus, of leaving your place 
in heaven by the Father's side to come and live on this messed up planet. That just shows the extent of your love, just that you came, but then that you gave your life and, and were willing to be put to death at the hands of these people that you came for. And you did that, Lord, to be able to cleanse us so that we could be in your presence. We, we thank you for that. Help us to experience that on an increased level. Help us to welcome you into our hearts. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.